It's lovely to be here with you again. I heard that the worship was fantastic. It was in the very first meeting as well, because I was here for that, and uh, I really felt we were connecting with heaven. We probably are anyway, but it's just that I felt more conscious of it. When we sang that song that was hallelujah and hallelujah, I just had a sense, yeah, they're singing that in heaven as well, and we're joining in with them, and we're part of the new creation. And one day we're going to be with them, so I felt very excited about that. Yeah, you may clap. Yeah. Okay. Let's hope you clap at the end of this as well. No, that's not. Uh, okay. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 9. The Apostle Paul is writing, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So right at the beginning of that chapter there, Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord. What kinds of things do people generally rejoice about in life? Well, here are some suggestions that I have thought of. You might think of others. I think people rejoice at weddings generally. It's generally an occasion for rejoicing, happiness, joy. Births is another one. Generally, people rejoice. We've had three births in our family in the last six months, and it's been occasions for rejoicing. Or maybe it's promotion at work some opportunity has opened to get promotion perhaps a bit more money a bit more responsibility an occasion for rejoicing or maybe you've been seeking to move house you went a new house maybe in a nicer area perhaps with a bit more room as the family are growing and you get to move and it's an occasion for rejoicing or maybe it's just success in exams you've got some exams that you've got to do maybe it's getting your degree or whatever it might be And you pass, occasion for rejoicing, or your driving test. Or as we heard this morning about uh, CAP, Christians Against Poverty, we've got 18 families now, free from debt. It's occasion for rejoicing. Or maybe it's as simple as your favorite team did well, as Wickham Wanderers did yesterday. (laughs) But what about when life is tough? What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord then? Does it mean that we ignore the negative circumstances of life does it mean we stick our head in the sand and carry on as if nothing is happening a sort of denial of our experience does it mean we always 
uh, we're always positive and look on the bright side of life. So suddenly you're made redundant, you're worried about how you're going to pay the bills, and you think, oh, well, never mind, there are people in a worse situation than I am. Is that what it means? Or maybe going through a traumatic divorce, you're feeling torn apart inside, and you think, oh, well, at least we had a few good times. Does it mean that we can never really express what we really feel when we have to rejoice in the Lord? Well, what do we read in the Bible? Well, more than 60 of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of lament. They express both individual and corporate suffering, disappointment, failing confidence, anger, no holding back of feelings. Classically, Psalm 22 verse 1, which Jesus quotes from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. He feels abandoned. He feels alone. He feels as if God doesn't care. Where's your presence? What's this all about? I feel alone in it all. You said you'd be with me always. But it certainly doesn't feel like it. The point is this. There's no holding back of the real emotion that he is feeling. However... In the same psalm in verse 3, he says, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. So faith and trust and hope spring up. It's a bit like um, one of these old-time miners panning for gold. They've got this metal pan. They come up to the stream or the river, and they dip the pan in the water, and they pick up the mud and the silt that's on the bottom of the, uh, the riverbed, And they let the water run through it and they shake the pan. Why? Why are they doing that? Well, they're looking for something. They're looking for the glint of gold in the midst of the mud. And when they see the glint of gold, that's what makes all the difference to their experience. So to rejoice in the Lord doesn't mean denying circumstances. It doesn't even mean denying our feelings. But it does mean this, that they don't have the ultimate say in our life. I remember when my father, at age 50, I think he was, had a massive heart attack. And he was in Wickham Hospital. I remember going up to see him. And he was unconscious. He had a mask on, oxygen mask, he had tubes coming out of various parts of the body. And it did not look very good. I certainly was not rejoicing in seeing him there at that time. When I got back home, went upstairs to my room, and I remember praying in desperation for him. And I was seeking the Lord in the midst of the difficult circumstances of life. Now, Mark Riley is our center manager, and I'd like Mark to come out now and share something, a little bit of his story. And the reason is this. I really want this to be earthed. This is not just simply goody theology out of here, but it's something that we can all uh, experience in our life and find that sense of Jesus being with us. Morning. I I normally go to the Hazelmere site, so that's probably why some of you think I've uh, never seen him before, and um, that, that was expressed in some warm welcomes that I received as I came in. One or two people that I do know said, what are you doing here? Um, 
But it's great, it's great to be here just to share, you, share with you uh, a little bit about my story. Uh, we need to dial the clock back a little bit to July 15. Uh, and I had one of those conversations with the doctor that you hope never to have. And uh, I'd been ill for a little while and I'd been having some few tests and things. And, and he said, it's not good news. You've got cancer. And that, sure, it focuses your attention really does and it does feel like the end of life as you know it you think what's going to happen to me because however that situation turns out however the treatment the course of treatment that you go on whether that's going to work or not you know that actually the goalposts for my life and my family's life are different forever and I'm married uh, I've got two sons uh, one's nine and one's seven and in the context of loss Back further back in time in my family, I lost my mum to, to cancer when I was nine. And I'm thinking, can my boys lose their dad? Can this happen again? Really? And it was very much a sense of, here we go again. What is happening? God, what is happening? What are we going to do? Where do I turn? And actually, you, you find really, whether you're a Christian or not, you, you find very quickly that actually the only place you can turn is, is God. Because the, the, the world doesn't have the answers and I remember being outside the building afterwards I just had come out of a conversation with the doctor and my wife was in floods of tears and you know we're just thinking what beginning to try and process what the future is going to hold for us and we actually felt that God's peace come upon us in a very real way because we felt actually at that point God's in control you don't know how these things are going to pan out but God's in control and you do not find joy in the circumstances. Mm. You do not find joy in the circumstances. Having scans, not knowing what the results of those scans are going to be, all the treatment, hair falling out, being poked and prodded, needles and all that kind of stuff. You don't find joy in the circumstances, but you do find joy in your relationship with God. As you seek God, and, and as Ron said, actually, the Spirit works in us, and, and faith, hope, and trust do spring up. Now, I believe nothing ever happens by divine accident. God does not waste anything. And I was just thinking, I don't want to waste this opportunity. What are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my family's life through this time? Because if God is God, he knows what he's doing. And he demonstrated that in in our lives by walking through those circumstances with us. And actually, I think through those times, you get something of God that you don't get any other way. Mm. And it doesn't come... Sure, it's, it's not without big questions. Why is this happening to me? Why are you, drag, you know, taking us through these circumstances? What are you doing? And we cry out, is God, is this worth it? Yes, it is. That is God's answer. Yes, it is worth it. And, hey, I'm still processing this. It's, it's still a journey that I'm on. I've been all clear of that stuff now for just over a year. Praise God. Thank you very much. That's very kind. But I'm still in the system. I I get checkups every three months, and that is always an anxious time as you step into the hospital and it all comes back. But God is with us, whatever the future holds. And with him you find not just superficial happiness, but deep, pure joy. I'll leave, these verses, leave you with these verses from 2 Corinthians. We were under great pressure, 
far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mark. So, yeah, we're not talking about rejoicing in the suffering, but we're talking about rejoicing in the Lord. And that means to find him in the midst of life's difficult times, to find him in the midst of the dark times of life. For for example, I mean, Paul himself was imprisoned at the time when he wrote this. He was under possible sentence of death. But to rejoice in the Lord means to, to find him in that and find something of his qualities and to be able to be glad about what he's done, to remember and be thankful, to remember that he suffered and he understands our suffering. And if we doubt that God loves us, if sometimes we feel that he's abandoned us, we can look back to the cross and we know for sure that Jesus came and he gave his life for us and he demonstrated physically at a particular time in history, he demonstrated his love. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul tells us this, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. There's nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, nothing under the earth that can ever separate us from his love. There's gold in the pan. And the Holy Spirit comes, and sometimes he just comes like a gentle breeze to remind us of the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Paul comes and talks about confidence, and he says... It's about having confidence in the Lord. Well, I want to ask you this question. Where does your confidence lie? He talks about one of the identifying marks of the old covenant, circumcision, the removal of the male foreskin. Some Jewish people wanted Christian men to be circumcised. And Paul utterly condemns this. He's very strong. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. When he talks about dogs, he's not talking about the pampered pooches that we have today in our society. He's talking about those dogs that roam the streets, the kind of dogs that you would see if you went to some of the countries in the east, as I've been. In Kathmandu, for example, I think Kathmandu should be renamed Dogmandu. Because all the dogs that are running around there, packs of dogs barking all night, scavenging through the rubbish. That's the kind of dogs he's thinking about. He expresses us very strongly. Why? Why is he dead against the circumcision? The reason is this, that circumcision would add a plus factor to grace. So in other words, it's not simply grace. It's not simply the gift of God. You also have to do this. Now that's infiltrated many sectors of Christianity down through the ages. Because we can find it very difficult to accept that we've got to do nothing. We find it very, very difficult to accept that actually God has done it all. Christ has done it all. All I have to do is accept that. And even then, it's the Holy Spirit who enables me to be able to do that. And then he talks about human confidence. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, in other words, in achievements and pedigree, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, i.e. human achievement, I have more. He lists his pedigree. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, a tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, 
someone who kept the law, persecutor of the Christians. And he considers them garbage. His confidence does not lie in his pedigree or his achievements. And I would suggest to you this morning that neither should ours. Where does your confidence lie? Now we live in a fairly well-heeled area. Fairly wealthy area. Yes, I know that there are difficulties for many families as well. But we live in a fairly wealthy area. In fact, we live in a wealthy country, let's face it. Despite all our moans and groans about the NHS and how we could pour more money into it, you know, many of us have been really helped by the NHS and we're very grateful that we live in a country where we don't have to worry if we get ill, but we'll get some good health care. We live in a wealthy country. We can have confidence in our wealth. We can have confidence in our personal wealth. We can have confidence in our social status. Yeah, I'm pretty well healed. Yeah, nice house. Things are going well. Actually, in the book of Revelation, in my understanding of some of what goes on there, is that the whole uh, financial situation in the world just collapses in a moment of time. That's a scary thought. Where should our confidence lie? Again, we live in an area where education is very important. I'm not decrying education or anything. Now, people move into this area because of the schools. We have a system of grammar schools, whether you like that or not, but many people do. And even if the option is not grammar schools, we have many good primary and secondary schools in this area. And we have kind of confidence in our education. Well, I'm well educated. Well educated. You might say, well, I've worked hard to where I got to in my life. Not decrying that either, but many people in the world work hard. I've seen families working in brick kilns in Nepal, where the whole family, including the little kids, are just moving bricks from one pile to another all day. They're working very hard. I went to India a few years ago with Stuart Reed, and we went to the north of Bangalore, and there was like a big mountain there, rock, huge, bigger than, much bigger than this building, like 10, 20, 30, 40 times as big as this building. Big rock, seemed to be in the middle of nowhere outside the city. There was a quarry there. And what people did for a living, and they lived in the most basic accommodation around the quarry, they would hand chip the quarry, whether it was for roads or what, I don't know, but that's what they would do. And I remember one evening, I think it was twilight time, this lady was walking up out of the quarry. She was only slight of stature. She had a sari on, and she was carrying a sledgehammer on her head. And I thought, wow. You know, I'm blessed because I've got opportunity that many people in the world have not had and possibly may never have in their life. So what I have received, I have received from God. Where should my boast be? Where should my confidence lie? Jeremiah the prophet writes in chapter 9, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So if we're going to boast, 
It's not going to be in our human achievement. It's not going to be in our social status. It's not going to be in our wealth. But our boast is going to be in the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of the heavenly lights anyway. Who does not change. He's not like shifting shadows. If, I have, if I've got any ability in my life, where did I get that from in the first place? It was God who gave it to me. So where should my confidence lie? It's not in my wealth. It's not in my social status. It's not in my education. It's not in anything else. But my confidence lies in Christ who he is and what he's done for me where does your confidence lie you know Jesus said this you have not chosen me I have chosen you now think about that for a moment you've not chosen me but I have chosen you that should give us confidence from before the foundation of the world just think about this, this is incredible before the foundation of the world Before the world was made, God was making this plan to reveal his love to a creation which he was about to birth. And you and I were going to be there. How amazing is that? And he's the one who's begun a good work in you. He began it. You did not choose me. I chose you. I began the good work in you. While we were yet enemies of Christ, God came and decided To involve us in his plan. So we can have confidence in that. I am able to keep you falling. And to present you before my throne. With exceeding joy. That's where our confidence should lie. Our confidence should lie in Jesus. Who he is. What he's done. And in his faithfulness. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And one day he's going to present us before his throne. And we will see him face to face. And all those dark times that you've been through in your life. All those questions that you will have had in your life. In a moment of time. They'll all mean nothing. Sometimes I think. When I get to heaven. I've got these questions I'm going to ask the Lord. About things that have happened in my life that I don't understand. And then I think. No I won't. I won't. Because as soon as I see him, they'll all be irrelevant. So the stuff that I don't understand, for me, yeah, and I seek, I'm not stupid. Well, I don't think I am. Maybe sometimes. (laughs) Maybe occasionally. (laughs) I'm open to correction on that one. Um, But don't all rush it towards me at the end. Uh, A lot of these questions that I have, I tend to put them like in a box, if you like. Put them in a box. And I think... Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, and I'm not sure I ever will. But actually, in the end, it won't be relevant anyway. Because when I see Jesus, it will all just mean nothing. So where does your confidence lie? Our confidence should be in the Lord. Our confidence should be in who he is. Our confidence should be in what he's done. Our confidence should be like the psalmist says, when he says, my times are in your hands. Where are your times? Whose hands are your times in? Ultimately, they're in the hands of Christ. So Paul is very hot on the fact that this is the gift of God. You can't add to it. Circumcision is no good at all. Mutilators of the flesh. We don't want any of that nonsense he's saying. I consider everything lost for the sake of gaining Christ. Of knowing him. He said, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So here Paul talks about knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Let me ask you a few questions now. Who do you know? Who do you know the best in your life? Who's the person that you know the best in your life? Think about it for a moment. I expect it didn't take you long to decide who it was. What kinds of things make that person happy? What kinds of things make that person sad? What qualities does that person have that you admire? What quirks does that person have? So the more difficult one. I've got some quirks. Okay, I learned out yesterday that I had some quirks. I didn't know I had them. But I had them pointed out to me by members of my family. And uh, I was told that one of my quirks is this. That when I've eaten, and the, the dish and the cutlery needs washing, we've got a dishwasher in our kitchen, that I go into the kitchen and I put my dirty uh, crockery on the dishwasher. I don't put it inside. So I was told. And I said, oh, okay. I never noticed. I said, uh, oh, I think the reason I do that is because... I, I think it's just a waste of time to put one or two items in. I just wait until there's a big pile and then put them all in one go. And then I was told, actually, no, we put them away. <laughs> so, to get to know someone, how do you find out about the person? How do you get to know them? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? You spend time with them. You converse with them. You know, I don't know if you've ever been any, in any one-sided conversations in your life. I've been in a few. And if I've done it to you, please forgive me. You could let me know. But again, don't all rush to the front at the end. I don't think I can cope with it. But anyway, have you ever been in a one-sided conversation where all the person has talked about is themselves? I know we're all in danger of it because it's easy to talk about yourself. Your situation, your issues, your problems, your hopes, your dreams. And you go on. And sometimes I'm in, I'm in that conversation and I think, if I walked away, I don't think anybody would notice. <laughs> um, but to get to know someone, you, what you have to do from time to time is you have to take the focus off self. You have to take the focus off self from time to time. How can we get to know the Lord? Well, here are a few suggestions. We can get to know the Lord through reading the Bible. What makes him happy? What makes him sad? What makes him angry? What's he really like? We can get to know him and he can speak to us as well through his word. We get to know Christ as well through drawing near to him in worship and prayer. And I hope that when you come here on a Sunday morning, there's an element of faith in your uh, experience, what's going on. I hope that when you come on a Sunday morning and we're engaged in a time of worship, there's an expectation that you have as you draw near to God. Because the Bible says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. 
If you come without any faith, then your experience is going to be far more limited. But if you come with an expectation, a sense of faith, even as small as a grain of mustard seed, then you will experience something of the presence and the dynamism of the Holy God who wants to meet with us and who wants to transform us from one degree of glory to another. Now, how good is that? So as we draw near to God in worship and prayer, we can get to know him, experience his presence, and listen to what he has to say to us and do what he says. We get to know Christ through meeting together and sharing in our lives, not just in large gatherings, but in our smaller groups as well. You know, if, if this is true, correct me if I'm wrong, if this is true and you're a believer, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's what the Bible says. So if you're a follower of Christ, then Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So that means this, that I should be able to see Christ in you. You should be able to see Christ in me, at least from time to time, at least a little glimpse, at least a little glimmer from time to time. And I have to say, I've been in the church quite a long time, and I have seen the glory of Christ in you. I've seen the glory of Christ when people have been going through a really difficult time in their life, perhaps a time of bereavement, a time of divorce, and they've been there and they've had their hands and worshipped the Lord. I think, how great is that? That's like Christ. That's just like Christ. In his dark times, he was still a worshipper of God. That reveals something of Christ. When I see people's compassion for others, just get alongside them. And being a friend to them, I think that's just what Christ would do. When I see people being gracious towards others, when I see people being generous and I hear about those things, I think, that's Christ. I see Christ. So getting to know Christ as being part of the church community as well and sharing in our lives together. And then we will see Christ in one another and be encouraged. And I'm challenged. I'm challenged by people's dedication. I'm challenged by people's thirst for the word. I'm challenged by people's prayer life. And inspired by that as well. We get to know Christ in the body of his people. We get to know Christ through giving of what the Lord has given us. The gifts that God has given us. Again, it's that moment when you take your focus off self and seek to serve the needs of other people. That's exactly what Christ did. And we get to know him as we do that too. We get to know the Lord even in our suffering. Because suffering can tend to draw us closer to him. Cause us to seek him more. I remember when we were going through a very dark time in our family. And I remember going out at night. It was dark. And walking along the road. Tears streaming down my face. And I was crying out to the Lord. I was seeking him. Because I was desperate for change. Desperate to see God work in that situation. So even in our suffering. We can experience something of who Christ is. And the Lord heard me by the way. And we get to know Christ through being filled with the Holy Spirit. We reveal something of the splendor. So our encounter evenings that uh, Richard was promoting earlier, ah, they're fantastic. Just come and get blessed. Come and get refilled with the Holy Spirit. Come and get inspired again. Come and get prayed for. Come and worship. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes and he reveals the glory and the splendor and the awesomeness of who Christ is. And we get to know him that way too. Now, Whatever you think of specific politicians, please don't again tell me later. Nigel Farage has been the first British politician who has got to know the new president of the United States the best. The head of the most powerful country in the world. Just think about it. To be invited into the White House. Wow. To be invited to dinner with the president and his family. Not many are going to be in that position. We have a greater invitation. We have a greater person to get to know. It takes a lifetime to get to know Christ. 
The wonder and the splendor of who he is is deeper than the universe itself. To get to know him. That's what I want to do, the Apostle Paul says. And I suffer the loss of everything. All that garbage, all that human achievement, all that pride of life is garbage that I might know him. And that's an invitation that Jesus extends to you and me. We, have, we can have confidence in Christ because he demonstrated his love on the cross. His gift of right standing is free. You can't add to it. He has done it. It is finished. So let's boast about what Christ has done, not about our achievements. Circumstances of life go up and down, but we can rejoice in the Lord because there's nothing that can separate us from his love. We're held in the palm of his hand and he's going to bring us through to see him in glory. Maybe you're going through a dark time at the moment. We would like to give you an opportunity to be prayed for as the band come up, please. So if you're going through a dark time, we are the body of Christ. We want to support one another. We want to encourage one another. Maybe you're going through a dark time. Maybe you're finding it difficult to see that glint of gold in the pan. We want to to help you to be able to do that. So as the band come up, could I also have the prayer team come out, please, over there? If we've got people who normally pray for others as part of our prayer team, could you please come out and get our lanyard on? That would be helpful. And during this next song, and Rich is going to come back up and continue to lead the meeting, uh, we would like to love to stand with you, love to pray with you, and love that you would see the glint of gold in the pan. Amen?